Welcome to Seller's Journey, the podcast where we speak to great sales reps and leaders and share their real stories from start to sales success. Hi, everybody. I'm Joseph Fung, and today we're speaking with Hugh Lawson, the Director of Business Development at Staples. Hugh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Uh, I, I had the chance to learn a little bit about your story, and I'm really looking forward to digging in. We've got some some fun stuff to cover today. I'm very excited. Fun is always exciting. <laughs> so I, I've had the chance to get to know you. Maybe you could start off with the basics to help our audience. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Okay, so I, I was uh, born in Toronto. Actually, my parents are uh, Jamaican descent. Uh, we immigrated back to Jamaica in the early 70s, but then we came back to Canada in the late 70s just due to the political turmoil in Jamaica. And then I basically grew up in Mississauga. Uh, so went to mm-hmm. high school, Mississauga, elementary school. But then I um, went to Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo and um, graduated, I guess, with a degree, a major in football and an under and a minor in communication studies. in that major of football i mean we were often curious where did people go right after school and and football was that passion right yes it was it was at the time as you know as a 21 22 year old and um i ended up i was i was i was privileged enough to be um drafted by the toronto argonauts and i ended up playing uh about a year about eight games with them and then Mm -hmm. but at the same time my um my mother um, had somewhat of a, a passion for entrepreneurship, and I think that um, carried over to me. So while I was playing, I was actually building a business plan and what little money I could put together from a meager CFL salary. They actually um, started a business, uh, a promotional wow. products company. So, so yeah, so that that was my transition. The the, the stint with the Argos was great, but um, I was kind of already looking forward because I just it wasn't NFL money. Yeah, I couldn't buy gold teeth or a Rolls Royce with the salary. Um, <laughs> and my dad was still hitting me up for rent, even though I was living in a basement and I was one of his own. But yeah, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting ride. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a character builder. That's what dads do. <laughs> yeah, that's their job. Now, yes, sir. Hey, I, I like how you spoke about starting your business, but from my understanding, that wasn't how you cut your teeth in sales. You, you shared an no, interesting story. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of interesting stories. I actually started cutting my teeth in sales in grade five as a Boy Scout. Mm. And what I oh. mean by that is that at that time, every Boy Scout or Girl Guide or Brownie or, or Beaver would be obliged at some point in time in the deepest, coldest time of winter to stand in front of an LCBO and sell apples to raise funds. <laughs> and, you know, as, a, as an 11 year old, that was the last thing you wanted to be doing at the time. But the one thing that I got out of that in all my nervousness and, um, and just actually just downright freezing to death is I met some interesting people. And mm. the scout leader, I remember one time the scout leader um, said, oh, my gosh, that's Russ Jackson. And we're like, who's Russ Jackson? But now looking back at my playing career, Russ Jackson was a CFL icon at Cliff Ottawa Rough Riders, but he was a local principal at local high school. And just the fact that wow. I got to meet Russ Jackson by selling apples, it's almost like a precursor to what's happened for the rest of my career. So sales, selling apples, grade, uh, grade five, and then fast forward, you know, 16 years later, um, I had a buddy who ran an embroidery shop while I was at school 
And I actually had a landlord that just didn't show up for six months. And as a result, I actually ate all my rent money. And he came looking for the six months. I didn't have it. But then with my buddy, I, we ended up starting selling shirts on campus. So if you had a floor in residence and you wanted to put, you know, A1 chicken hawks on your sweater, mm-hmm. I was the guy. And I'd get you 40, you know, sweaters for the floor. I'd put a little bit on top of it. My buddy at home would bankroll it. And i put a little money in my pocket and I'd give it to the landlord so he wouldn't put me out on the street. And then fast forward over a year, I started looking at this and doing the math and going, why don't I just do this for a living? So. Wow. That's where I end up starting a business in promotional products. And then a lot of the uh, students or my classmates that graduated, they graduated from the business school there. They got jobs in marketing. And instead of calling me for 30 shirts for a floor, they're calling me for 200 shirts for a marketing campaign. And that evolved to starting that business of which I did that for eight years until age 33. The, uh, that founding story is remarkable. We, mm-hmm. we always speak about success in sales is, is often tied to just how much, how much you hustle, how much effort you put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could tell you really had to there. That, that must have been terrifying, actually. Six months in, dude. Come on. Well, yeah, buddy, as a 21-year-old, I don't think you really get stressed about it too much. You just kind of lie low and make yourself <laughs> scarce until you come up with the money. And, you know, as a fleet-footed 21-year-old, soon-to-be professional athlete, Running fast and running far wasn't a, wasn't a problem <laughs> for me. And my uh, landlord counterpart maybe wasn't as nimble as I was. So I could probably stretch it out two weeks before I came up with the money. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> so you're, you're building out this practice. Uh, yes, you've got the time at the Argos. You mm-hmm. launch it professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an entrepreneur is tough. Uh, and you know, I have so much respect for, for, you know, the way you, you got into it and the way you scaled it. Um, but I, I'd like to continue a little sure. bit further in that journey because you shared a bit around how uh, during the turmoil of September 11th, uh, you know, it forced you to revisit that business and and look and take on a sales role somewhere else. Can you, yeah. can you share a little bit about that journey yeah, and that sure. change for you? You've really put it in a very nice diplomatic uh, spin um, I didn't revisit the business. The business revisited me and promptly put me out on the street. I um, I made the mistake like a lot of um, business owners where you put your eggs all in one basket and and not preparing for the most extreme of circumstances, whether it's a pandemic or a set of planes hitting buildings in, in, in the Pentagon and changing the world forever. I had a, I was on a really good run, but 80% of my volume resided with roughly two, three accounts. So wow. in the branded merchandise space, promotional product space, it is one of the first budgets to go when, when companies go through a tough go. So when the economy changed drastically after 9-11, I probably lost 80% of my business. And I was forced to close summer 2001 or no 2002 knowing that you know i i just i was two years into a marriage um months away from uh, my uh you know my, my my first child being um a year old and a mortgage hanging over our heads and um just not seeing any knowing that it would probably take three four years to bring the company back to where it once was so i actually decided you know i don't want to i don't want to chase receivables anymore. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. have to stall and 
juggle paying suppliers and paying my staff. I just want to work and do what I do best. So I took what I knew and what I learned and that entrepreneurial skill set into an account management role at a company called Corporate Express, which is now Staples today. Nice. Mm -hmm. So in that in that situation, uh, you know, what was that change like for you? You know, going from being an entrepreneur to kind of carrying a bag for another company. I mean, a lot of applicable lessons, but it's definitely a change. What was, was that it, like? it was it was absolutely disastrous. It was absolutely disastrous, and it was earth shattering. It was um, an incredible um, blow to my self esteem, my ego. Up to that point. I could do no wrong. And I think in many cases, just my run of success, whether it's at a sporting level, uh, school, friendships, meeting people, um, the optimism of running your own business probably created a lot of hubris where I didn't manage my business properly. So when we had to shut it down, it wasn't shut down. It crashed. And when it crashed, it brought an incredible high level of doubt and cynicism around my credibility as a person my honesty with my family and friends, most importantly, my wife, uh, my wife, um, my own self-confidence. And it also brought a lot of anger because that wasn't part of the plan. I was going to be a successful business person. I was going to have an island and a boat and retire when I was 50. And now I got to go look for a job. And, you know, your credit's ruined and you got to dust yourself off, put on a good face for these interviews and prove to everybody all over again that you're worthy of, of a job. Um, and then on top of that, mend fences, mend relationships with suppliers you've let down because you're still in the same industry. So they're going to run into it events. But, you know, we came out of it and I learned a lot. And then at the same time, my business partner um, later on that year had a massive heart attack and died at three o'clock oh, no. in the morning, age 36. So I lost one of my close, closest colleagues and friends all within the same year of crashing a business. So. It was an absolute disastrous year, but it, it gave me a lot of skill sets that I still apply to this day. And in, in many ways, it's actually prepared me for what we're going through right now. I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. My heart goes out to you. No, it's that all good. It's really all tough. good. It's all good. I got a whole lot of leather in my back, so I, 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 can, I can play the long game as good or as better than, than most of them because of that experience. You, you, you highlighted something interesting there. You said mm. it's kind of prepared you for what we're experiencing right mm -hmm. now. Um, we speak to a lot of people that are going through career changes, looking for what you know what their future holds in sales. Um, what are some of the parallels you see? What, what do you think they should keep in mind? Um, I, I think, um, well, if you're to, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, mm -hmm. If if you're if you want to be because it doesn't sound like this is going to be an if anymore these um circumstances and events are going to be wins and they're going to happen in a, a reoccurring pattern so in hindsight i think diversification uh i see a lot of you know i'm going to talk like an old man now and say oh the younger generation <laughs> and i see this a lot with people i've met from europe um that live in europe Everybody's got a side hustle. I think you just got to have a bunch of eggs in the basket, whether it's your client base, whether you, you know, you, you, you diversify your client base by sector, um, by revenue. Uh, it's just don't put your eggs on one basket because when stuff hits the fan, it's completely out of your control. Now, if you get into present site where you're in the middle of it, 
I just think uh, whether you're a, a sales professional or just anybody just trying to make this through this is you got to come up with a, a, a toolbox of, of coping mechanisms or ways to endure this, to be resilient, to, to see this through, to have a plan. Um, I've seen that with my older daughter who suffered through severe anxiety um, early on when she first entered high school. Um, working with professionals, um, she built a toolbox of ways to deal with that anxiety because the anxiety, you can't control when it comes, but you can control how you respond to it. So, and I think the other thing too, that's uh, rather fascinating is um, when when I lost my business, um, I actually, and I'm not like a church going overly spiritual person. But mm-hmm. when my my buddy and my partner passed, he actually, I, I I believe this to this day, he visited me in my sleep about three days after he passed. And I saw him in full sight. And he said to me, Hugh, no matter what happens to you, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And that I think would be so impactful. Yeah, I can I yeah. can only imagine how that must have felt. Well, it it, it to this day, I still... And maybe it it makes me a little aloof. It makes me a little too laid back for my own good. But I I just try not to die a thousand deaths. This too shall pass. We'll get Mm -hmm. through this. Just control what you can. But at the end of the day, if if you deal with this properly, you will be okay. And that's the one thing I got out of that visit to this day. And it's actually rung true. Like every time we've had a challenge at work, every time we've had a challenge at home, Anytime there's been a loss in the family at this stage of my life, you've seen a lot of loss with, you know, people just getting on in years and the, the whole, the ground doesn't open up and swallow us, swallow us whole. You will live to see another day. I love the way you speak about it. And I can, mm. I can see how you have such a big impact. Uh, I, I know you do some mentorship on, yeah. on the side and volunteering, and I can see how you must help a lot of people uh, yeah. with the way you, you can share and characterize and empathize with that. Yeah, yeah, and and the funny thing is that um, I I and that's I actually learn from the people that I mentor because a lot of the people I mentor are either student athletes at my alma mater or new arrivals to Canada that are professionals that are looking to find gainful employment at the level of expertise that they held for where they came from. So mm-hmm. there's a moment in time where you're in the middle of the storm. Um, these young people, older people new to Canada from India, Nigeria, Eastern Europe, South America, and they're burning through reserves. And no one's really giving them a shot at an interview. But where you run wrong, and where you where you go wrong, and you risk the chance of really burning through those reserves is when you lose your medal and maybe go for something that's not quite right because you lose your poise. And those that can kind of can kind of stick it out, a year from now, they look back and go, well, that was a crazy time, but I'm totally the job that I'm in. And I find that lesson revisiting itself over and over again. So many, in most cases, the people that are looking to me for guidance, I'm actually learning from them. And it's it's reinforcing and reminding me that, you know what, you got to play the long game and you got to set yourself up for the marathon and not the sprint and just stick it through. Like, just look through all, you know, block out all the noise, you know, just look through the, you know, forest through the trees there's sunshine on the other end you just got to keep your eye on the prize and i learned that a lot i learned more from the mentees than they learned from me as a mentor 
This has been incredible. Mm. Uh, I appreciate you opening up so much and sharing so much about oh, your good. story. Yeah. Uh, we hear so many sales leaders and, and sales reps speaking that, you know, a large part of sales is, is mindset and mm-hmm. resilience. And I think mm-hmm. your story is going to resonate with so mm-hmm. many. No, well, I'm glad to do that. I'm, I'm glad to, to be able to assist in that. So. Now, I know that when we, we first got together and I invited you out, I promised that I wouldn't take too much of your time. Do you have time for a few rapid fire questions before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, 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 sure. My, my pleasure. Cool. Okay. Let me, let me jump right into them then. Mm. So you've got this great career kind of spanning your own company, mm. you know, larger enterprise, but across all of that, mm. what would have been your favorite sales tool? Uh, my favorite sales tool that's right now is um, actually uh, leveraging um, a software called uh, Vidyard, um, which is essentially like a video messaging platform. And my team and I were having some uh, good success at a time where no one's really trying to hear from a salesperson right now. But mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a very visually stimulating um, tool. It's embedded in your inbox or in your in your in your email. And how I set mine up with my picture on the cameo and with what I want to talk about as my backdrop, I'll usually wave mm. first, and then you can put in the thumbnail so that literally when they look in their in their email, they'll see me waving at them, and it prompts them to click open. And I just find that it's been very good, and people have been quite impressed by it. We're not selling anything at this time. We're just checking in to say hello, giving them an update as what we have on the go, and it seems to be working right now. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine uh, for, for selling such a, a physical product, like promotional mm-hmm. uh, products, it gives you a lot of opportunity to leverage that video. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to try that down the road, but right now we're not selling anything. We're just say, just checking in, saying, hi, we're here. You know, this too shall pass. We'll touch base when the time is right. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. I know that we, we've gotten to know you a little bit better, but let's dig, a bit, dig in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite movie? <laughs> well, I, I, when, I, when you kind of uh, when I think about that, I wish you could have said movies, but we don't have time, so I'm just gonna go to one. Um, <laughs> I would say Malcolm X, uh, Spike Lee directed mm. uh, film. That yeah. is an excellent, excellent yeah. film. Yeah, it was a pivotal. It was a. Uh, it, it came out in my my kind of my exploratory years in university when I was trying to understand my um, identity as a as a young black man in um in the diaspora and what i like about malcolm x you know when people think of him they think of him as maybe a divisive figure in terms of race relations and you know as a, as a such a stark contrast to martin luther king but what i see in malcolm mm-hmm. x is someone who constantly reinvented himself you know there's a pre mecca there's a there's a pimp um does jail time malcolm little and then there's uh nation of islam um, somewhat antagonistic uh, civil rights leader, Malcolm X. And then there's the post visit to Mecca when he realized there's so much more to um, Islam than just color. And he opens himself out to collaborate with other members of, of, of the community in, in the world looking for social justice. So that's what my takeaway from that movie was that it still wow. resonates with me today. I love the detail. Thank you for sharing. No problem. No problem. Last, last quick one. Uh, and I've got a couple of guesses, but we'll see if I'm I'm right or not. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you, you want to grow up to you're be? You're not even going to get it right. You're not even going to be close. You're going to oh, you wanted to be a football player. You know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a race car driver. 
Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, my that is a good one. That is my passion to this day. That's although I played football for a little bit, my number one passion. Everybody knows me is auto racing, and um, I actually um, my idol as a kid was Gilles Villeneuve. Um, the, oh wow, the, Il, Il Piccolo Canadese. When he died in 1982, I actually took two days off school. I was so devastated. I'm sorry to hear, but yeah. <laughs> that does tell me that when we get you back on the show, we're going to have to spend some time talking about Formula E and cars for a bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've actually been to a couple of races, and I have a close friend who um, is a um, race engineer at the APT uh, team for Audi. So I've actually been in the pits. It's pretty cool. It's the future. That, that is awesome. Yeah. Hugh, thank you so much for opening up, sharing your story, and, and spending the time with us. This is a remarkable conversation. I'm so no, glad you could join us. No, it was my pleasure. I mean, and I got to give you credit. When you got a voice like yours, a velvet fog, it, it brings the best out of people. I I got to tell you, like, let's keep in touch because when I'm in my 80s and, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time sleeping at the home, you can just give me a call, put you on speakerphone, read me a children's story, and I'll probably go out like a light. <laughs> that sounds like a deal, you. Thanks so much. No, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay.